This week on The Reverse Stick, we talk Australian Hockey League and catch up with WA Thunderstick Matt Bird. Plus, there's an umpiring debate and game day cliches. Podcast. I'm your host John Lee, and joining me every week, as per normal, co-host Matt Allen. How are you, Matty? Yeah, I'm good, John. How are you doing, mate? Well, it's been a trying week here at the Reverse Stick. It must be said, but we've managed to pull through, and we've got another podcast. And we've got another podcast. There's been a few technical issues in the studio here. There's uh, some uh, friendly local construction guys managed to uh, dig a hole in the wrong spot and take out the internet and the telephone and everything else. But we're gonna plod on and do our best to uh, to bring the show to you this week so apologies if this has landed a little bit late it's good thing I've got quite a bit of hair it's allowed me to pull out great rooms of it and then just go the comb over no one's noticed <laughs> and uh, Matt we'll start the news uh, with um, a bit of travel news actually as it turns out someone travelling from Germany to China yeah, it's uh, an interesting move. I spotted uh, midweek there that the German head coach and uh, also a head coach in club hockey there in, in Germany, Jamie Mulders, is on his way to coach in China. And you mentioned, uh, was it last week or the week? We know last week with regard to it will be interesting to see the rise of Chinese hockey. Now, we've, I've noted over the years they've brought a lot of uh, top coaches into soccer from all over the world. And that's just not not just at, um, at the elite level there, but that's also in grassroots programs. And uh, there's ex-Premier uh, League um, soccer players from the UK that are um, running schools programs in some of the private schools in Beijing and around and about. And uh, the investments happened all over with soccer. And perhaps this is where we start to see the move where China are looking to bring in some exterior expertise a lot of it's been in-house in the past and uh, maybe they think now's the right time to um, you know get a get a bit of a different viewpoint of the game i'm sure the chinese government are really keen on opening up their country to all of these sporting possibilities as well i i, I think they're very keen to showcase china as one of the leading nations in whatever field it happens to be and let's face it, hockey's a global sport, and it's a, a big global sport, and it's one that they've obviously got their eye on in the future. Well, it Perhaps it was the Olympics that opened their eyes up to how big the hockey community is. There's nothing strange in different countries looking elsewhere to, to, to bring in expertise in coaching. Um, you know, where we are in Australia, you just have to look around the world and look at the number of Australian coaches that are either currently involved or have been involved in, in uh, various international teams and programs around the world. And... Look, yeah, if, if, if you're, you're looking to be the best in your sport, then you want to get the best coaching staff, you want to get the best strength and conditioning coaches, you, you, know, you, you want the best of everything within your budget, and if you can do it, you, you, you get the best. I think also one thing the Chinese have shown is that they're prepared to pay. Now, that's made a big difference in the world of football. It has changed the dynamic, you could argue, especially for soccer in our country, but in other countries as well, because... You're, you might not be a Brazil or a, in, a Germany in hockey terms, but your best players can be well paid by playing in China. 
potential, yeah. potential. That's the potential of it. Well, let's face it, they only need a fifteenth of a percentage mm-hmm. and of the population to be involved with the game. That's and that's, right. yeah, that's yeah. one of the largest groups of hockey yeah. people in the world. There's no doubt the numbers are there. I, th- I think by, by bringing international coaches, what it would do for them is refine what they've got. You know, like you say, they've got the numbers. I, do find, I found it interesting, we, we talked a few weeks ago, um, not, not on the podcast, with regard to the selections of the, the Chinese teams. If you go, we, we, we ran a, uh, a thing within our local club for Rio Olympics, and it was a, um, a team management fantasy league type program that we did and finding out information on who the Chinese players were, who they played for, which province they played for, what's the club structure, that sort of thing was virtually impossible to find out. And we, we got the information about uh, a week before the start of the oh, tournament. If we, that, yeah, yeah, if that, um, and uh, so we had, we had discussions about it. And we didn't it. get it through an official channel either. No, 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 absolutely. But we, no, we got it off someone that we were lucky enough to know that had an idea about where we could yeah, find Yeah, that's right. But, but one of the, the interesting things I found from that was that um, the women's team is, is pretty well structured. Um, the best players from all over come together, although the competition happens in certain regional areas and, and, and larger metropolis. Um, but the men's team selection seems to be more based on who's won the national club or provincial championship for the year. And basically, the majority of the squad will come from those guys, bar three or four other stars that they might find around elsewhere. But it's it's, it's a very different structured policy with how they select their teams. Anyway, we move on. And we'll try and get hold of someone. We should uh, try and get hold of someone from China in the future and, and talk more about what's going on with the game in that country. That it could be, be a big player. Yeah, it would be great. It would be great. Um, so other bits in the news this week. Some interesting um, things have popped up with regard to umpiring. Oh. Of note, Irish umpiring. Now, you're a little bit more over this, um, John, on, on the oh. latest with it. Uh, well, I, I say the latest. I think that since the articles that we've read, there's more has happened, and there might have been some phone calls that have happened between the um, Irish uh, uh, Hockey Island and the Irish umpires. Association, but yeah, what, what do you know about it? Well, John? look, I, I must admit, well, I'm taking a lot of this information from the hook, the um, Linster. Yeah, the Linster hockey, hockey blog, super hockey blog, blog there. Yeah, Stephen, uh, yeah, the fellow who does that there, and he does a lot of other things with Euro hockey as well. People have probably read his stuff before. Now, look, it came out about a week ago, I suppose, this particular story that the Irish. First division, for want of a better term, was going to be interrupted because the umpires were going on strike, and essentially it was portrayed as being a pay deal that they they wanted payment and uh, wasn't enough. Much like we've seen in other sports around the globe, a typical industrial sporting dispute, so to speak. But it seems there's more to the story than meets the eye, and you have two two sides that are, seem to be implacable in their their places, they're, they're sticking to their guns and then one of them is the Irish Umpires Association, Hockey Umpires Association and the other is the Irish Hockey Board now, the Irish Hockey Asso- uh, Umpires Association claims that this industrial action is as much about the development of umpires and the future of umpiring in Ireland as it is about money, yes there is a, um, a desire by the Umpires Association to be paid now, at the moment, all they get is costs, Irish umpires. They're not paid to umpire the game, which I found a bit strange. Now, the Irish board says that we are an 
amateur sport. We don't pay our officials, so we're not going to pay you. And if we were to pay you, we would have to change our constitution because it's not within our constitution to to pay umpires or officials. Yeah, so you can you can understand that line. You know, that's, you, you, you that, can. That's if 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 you've got a if you're a board that has to work to a constitution, right. of course you've, the got, umpires, you've got to work within the parameters yeah, that are there. The umpires association claims that's not correct under the constitution. So <laughs> you've got to bless the Irish. They love a political stoush, don't they? Um, I'm a lead, by the way, with a Lennon in there as well. So I know a little bit about the Irish and politics. But they're... they're both parties have reasonable points and cases to make, and both are standing by them. Now, the Irish Umpires Association says that they, they're worried about the future of umpiring because most of their umpires are over 40, and they claim that there's not enough development of umpires going on, and the resources are being stretched too thin because there's not enough umpires to go around, and they claim that that's one of their biggest issues. The money, yes, it would be nice, but we, we, we have these other issues we'd like you to, to address. Now, it appears to me as if the Irish Hockey Board in their responses haven't addressed those issues. They've just addressed the issues involving money. Now, umpires should be paid. They're paid in this country. I'm not sure how it works in other countries and how other associations do it. I'd like to know. I'd like this to be well, a far bigger discussion for the hockey hockey globe. It's interesting that you say that because it um, also coming out off from the uh, the Hook Twitter feed midweek, uh, they posted something I think that popped up on the Hockey Family um, Twitter feed, and that was uh, a copy of something that had popped up out of the states. Uh, where one of the sides there were looking for an umpire and they were willing to pay 90 US dollars for the umpire for the game. Don't let the, blo- the uh, kid that's umpiring us every Saturday hear that, mate. We, we get away with 50 Australian, which well, is about 25 US. Well, this is, that's, but that's exactly, exactly the thing. So the, the, the going rate here in Perth is somewhere between maybe $30, $35 for you're doing a junior game and you're a junior doing it. It might even be 25 bucks we for a junior. We pay our umpire 50 bucks but, and in but, our yeah, grade, no, that's the going rate. For yeah, the, the, the going rate is $50 um, for a game unless you've got to sort of you know, go to the back of nowhere to, um, you know, it's, it's an extra 30Ks or whatever and you might get 60 or 70 for that. Um, and... It's interesting that we in in Perth there's this this pay structure with with uh, umpiring that didn't exist five years ago. No. Now maybe as a top grade umpire you were getting twenty five to thirty five dollars a game and that was your expense. So that was your travel time. It's it, it's 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 basically within a um, a city area. So your travel is is maybe thirty five forty five minutes at max to to get around to whatever ground you've got to get to. Um, and at that time, all of the club umpiring was left down to the individual teams. So it was either you'd, you'd rock up and you'd, you'd provide an umpire each for the two teams that are playing, which is similar to what happens in a lot of places around the world, or there'll be an umpiring buy within your competition. So on week seven, you, you, you're not uh, rostered for a game, but all of your team have to go and umpire another grade somewhere else over that weekend. People Which is a good system. A great system because everybody had to umpire. But we started getting to the view where people go, oh, I can't really be asked to umpire. Oh, I don't want to umpire. Oh, I don't enjoy umpiring. And found it because they had the cash. It was easier to pay somebody else to go and do it. Now this is the norm. So it's very rare. You know, I'd, 
I play hockey with a lot of guys. You know, I'm talking, you know, 200 guys or so that I that I know that I that I play regularly every weekend, and I reckon probably only 20, 25 of those will now umpire within a season. Now that means there's a lot of a lot of games, a lot of cash to be earned by some of those other guys that are prepared to put their hand up and do it. But fundamentally, that's an issue for the game because. If you don't umpire the game, then you, you, geez, the, the amount of stuff that you hear that gets thrown at umpires on game day from yeah. people that might not have umpired a game for four, five, six, seven years and have absolutely no understanding whatsoever uh, of what it is to, to, to play with the whistle. I, I grew up in understanding that umpiring was part of your duty as a player and you just had, in fact, I'm sure in my younger years that the association set it up so most grades had nine teams in them. So you did get a buy, and that's how they worked the umpiring. They no longer do that. Teams are no longer given umpiring duties like um, we like we used to be because of this. This well, they, well, they are they're, alloc- they're allocated potentially, but. but did, does your grade get allocated games to go and umpire uh, when you have a buy? The, my grade I played in this season, yep. we didn't have an umpire in buy. We had to provide our own umpire every week. Okay. And we didn't do it on rot- rotation through the team. We paid somebody 50 bucks every week to come to come along and do so it. So I'm, I'm against the idea of asking teams to provide their own umpire. I think that's that's wrong. I, I don't what, like because it of a bi- because of a bias issue? Potential for bias. But, but then you go, okay, well... It balances out if you provide one and, and they provide no, one. No, and you no, can, no, yeah. no, no, no. That doesn't work. That's not right. Well, it's not the right. The idea Absolutely. is you should have neutral umpires. I mean, how would it be if it's good enough at international level to have neutral umpires? Why isn't it good enough for me? This is another debate on oh. the, the the top level and, and how we play the game everywhere else. What it I would is. say, what I would say about you, you say about duty to the game. I see a lot of good programs in in our club with. Uh, Juniors um, being involved with blowing the whistle, and I'm, every day on Twitter there's various young umpire programs that are happening all over the world that I see the photographs of. And, and, and I have I an issue with that. I have an issue we, with that. Well, you have to start somewhere, though, don't yeah, you? You do, and you have to start from a position where you understand the game. And I, I have a daughter, and I've been to watch her being umpired by kids that are in the next age group up, who are being. And I get the idea behind it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sledging people behind these things and and the idea behind it I think yeah have a crack at it but what's happened is you're getting kids who haven't got the experience in the game to understand what's going on now the people they're umpiring are our juniors they need the best umpires so that they can best understand the game and have the rules interpreted properly for them now I saw one game in particular where in a whole half of under-13s hockey, not one stick check was blown. Not one. Now, in any grade of hockey, if you go through a whole half without one stick check, are you kidding me? Uh, but I, for it to be in a junior game was even worse. The kids are learning bad habits because the umpires aren't experienced enough to understand the game fully to umpire it. Now, I'm not saying that we should just not encourage juniors. What I'm saying is that they should be put on a path that is different from the one that they're put on now. You cannot umpire properly if you do not have an understanding of the game. And at 14 or 15, you have not developed that understanding yet. So, Tammy, how do you develop that understanding? How do you get the understanding? No, the understanding isn't of umpiring. The understanding of the game. 
It's it's a different thing. I'm not once once someone has the understanding of the game and how it works. Okay, so what's the so, what's, the, what's the, solu- the what's the solution then for a 14, 15, 16 year old to get an understanding for the game? Play it. Yeah, but, but play it. But these, play, but, but these play. kids are playing it, and they're well, umpiring as well. That's Don't worry about the umpiring. Leave the umpiring up to other people who are experienced and can do the right thing. I junior kids don't need trainee umpires. They need experienced umpires who can guide them through the game. Yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying, but I also think it's where does a where does a junior umpire gather any experience? Why do they have why don't why do they have to be a junior? Well, it's umpire? a vi- it's a it's a viable. Are you talking about age groups when you say junior umpire, or just an umpire who's not experienced? No, 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 age groups. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, don't they don't. They don't umpire. Don't you think that's part of the game, though? If you're Maybe gonna, at under-17s, you, you've play, got to... The, if you're going to play the game, you've got to understand yeah, the game from an umpiring you, perspective as well. Do we throw out seven or eight-year-olds because they're playing minky to umpire? That's Let them grow and learn and just play the game. Maybe when they get to an under-17 age group. Maybe when they're in their late teens is the time to start saying, right, you want to be an umpire? Okay. But to have a 15-year-old umpiring a 13-year-old is wrong. It's wrong for the development of the 15-year-old, and it's wrong for the development of the 13-year-old. Well, I, but I, I, I don't. I also the other issue that we have with it is we're stretched as it is with getting umpires to umpire games. So do you, so we do you, so do you have an unqualified a parent who's like, oh geez, there's nobody else who's going to blow the game. Okay, I'll blow the game. What makes that any better to have that person in there than actually their, their kid who plays the game? Did it not work? Did not did what not work? Well, well, this this crisis in umpiring numbers is a recent phenomenon. Uh, I think it's all no. See, uh, when, well, when you I, had a situation, well, I'll, go where back, I'll go back to being a, a 14, 15 year old in the UK. We were travelling maybe with thirteen players to go and to go and play a game, and uh, somebody doesn't turn up who was going to umpire. But, well, that's it. You've got to you you umpire one of your team umpires. That's that, right. But that doesn't happen here in Perth. Everybody looks to the crowd and goes, "Who wants fifty bucks?" <laughs> and and that is a far more preferable situation. I think. The, the the general thing that I, that I want to say with it is that if to play the game you need to umpire the game to understand it properly and and yeah but you don't you need to you learn stay, the game first you stay on the field a lot longer if you if you've stood in that umpire's shoes at some point yeah and that that point comes after you've learnt the game time for a sting. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, with your host John Lee and Matt Allen, and uh, we're going to be talking to a special guest soon who will be competing in the upcoming AHL. But before we do, that's the Australian Hockey League, by the way. We uh, thought we'd have a quick look at what is going on with the AHL, for a, because for a national league, Matt, it's an interesting concept. Um, yeah, it's an interesting. <laughs> John says it's an interesting concept because I um, I just reminded him that this year, as was last year, there's some extra teams that aren't just the Australian states and territory teams. So a little bit about the AHL. It is the Australian Hockey League. So annually, the uh, various state and territory excuse me territory teams get together. This year, it's in Perth. It was also held in Perth last year. Um, Queensland won the men's competition last year. We were the win over the the home side, the WA Thunder Sticks. 
Um, for those of you that don't know the teams that are involved, every, everyone's got a, a nice little moniker or nickname that goes along with it. Um, so I'll take you through the men's side of things first. The uh, WA side are the WA Thundersticks, Australian Capital Territory. That's Canberra for, for those of you not local. Uh, are the Lakers, the New South Wales Waratahs, the Northern Territory Stingers, the Queensland Blades, the South Australian Hotshots, the Tasmanian Tigers, the Victoria Vikings. Also in the... <laughs> 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 Is that like the penguins in Pakistan, <laughs> <laughs> the Victorian Vikings? Well no, well, no, there's a natural link to the Vikings and, and Victoria and Melbourne, isn't there? Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. And on the women's side <laughs> of things, there's the for WA the Diamonds, uh, the ACT Strikers, the New South Wales Arrows, the NT Pearls, the Queensland Scorchers, the South Australia Suns, the Tasmania Van Demons and the Victorian Vipers. There's certainly a few vipers probably down there in, uh, yeah, in Victoria. Yeah, snakes, it's a pretty Australian thing. But adding adding to both the men's and the women's side of the draw, we've also got the India Development Squad. Um, uh, that was announced today out of India. They've, they've said it's the India A team. And they've talked about this following the, the system with cricket of having an A team. So it's just, yeah, it is their development squad, but it's got a new name. And the New Zealand development squad, and the same with the women's competition, the India development squad and the New Zealand development squad. So, Great. go on. Great. It's not really a national championship when well, this is, India this, and Malaysia and New Zealand. Well, this is last year the Malaysian teams were also involved. Uh, oh. there, uh, there was, uh, two Malaysian men's teams involved but they've got other priorities with the Asia Cup coming up this year so decided not to uh, to be involved it's an interesting one having the international teams um, let's be honest the AHL uh, is reasonably looked upon by hockey supporters within Australia but it's virtually ignored within the press and, and our made, local press yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's, it's, it's ignored in, in, in Australia in the, in the major press you, you'd struggle to find anything outside of hockey websites um, to find any, any mention of it um, so maybe there was a thinking that by bringing in the international uh, certainly there was a thought towards strengthening our ties with India and some of the, you know, the, the, the Asian countries that might be involved and obviously New Zealand there's very strong links there um, the teams that were involved last year didn't perform too well. The Indian uh, men went okay. Uh, I think they got a fourth place uh, finish. But yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one for a national competition, and I know it gets you go a little bit with it. It does. It's not a national competition. Now I put forward the theory to you earlier that oh, well, how how can an India A team win a national competition in Australia? And I think you you mentioned that they're the teams from outside of Australia don't actually qualify to win the tournament. Yeah, is that I, correct? Uh, oh, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out we'll about that. that out. I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's... One of the big things about the competition, certainly this year, um, for the men's side, is that Colin Batch, the relatively new Australian men's coach, has said that there's eight or nine spots up for grabs for the upcoming Oceania Cup on performances for your, your various states. So there's there's some some pretty good sides that are popping up. I'll have a quick bit of a run through the teams that are taking taking part. So let's start at the top here with South Australia. Um, no big name stars in the South Australian Hot Shots team, captained by Ed Chittleborough. Uh, 2014, they had an eighth place finish, 2015, seventh, 2016, tenth. 
I don't expect them to set the world alight. They'll uh, be relatively competitive and, and fit and ready for action, but uh, uh, you can probably discount them from a top four finish. Uh, Tassie Tigers, uh, they were winners in 2014. They beat WA in a shootout. Third in 2015 and uh, seventh in 2016, so they'll be looking to improve on that. Eddie Olkenden, Tim Devin, uh, the Bouts boys all feature in there. And for some of some of our Irish listeners, you might know the name Ian Smooth McHugh, who's also in there and was one of the in that winning group in 2014. Um, yeah, they'll they'll do well to sort of you know to make that top four. I, I don't see them as a, a top contender, but they'll certainly uh, give it a good shot. Uh, the NT, Northern Territory Stingers, they finished sort of 6th to 8th over the past three years. Um, they struggle a little bit with, with depth and quite often they'll bring in two or three guys from different states that are just on the outer within those states so they'll, they'll get special dispensation to represent the NT at the tournament. Makes it hard to get all of those guys together. There's, you know, some good guys in there, um, like Jeremy Haywood, Joel Carroll. Um, but the, the, they'll struggle, I think, to, to do too much. Uh, the Australian Capital Territory, the star man there being Glenn Turner, they've struggled over the past few years as well. Uh, last year, an eighth place finish, sixth in 2015, seventh in 2014. Uh, so it'll be a tough ask for them as well. Um, so on to the main contenders. I'd say your, your top four, lock it in now. Uh, we're looking at WA Thundersticks. We've uh, got Trent Mitten and Aaron Zalewski, Tyler Lovell, Tom Wickham, all names that may be familiar to you. And, of course, a young Matt Bird, um, who you're hearing from in today's show. Uh, on home territory, went very close last time around, losing to Queensland in the final. Expect a good tournament. But there's a few young faces in there as well, so it's, uh, it'll be interesting. But, you know, we hope the, the home crowd can spur the Thundersticks on. Uh, we're also looking at a top four finish, I'd say, for the Victoria Vikings. Uh, the winners in 2016, fourth in 2015. There's some top names in the side there. Chris Cirillo slotting away the corners. Uh, fairly new Kookaburra, Kieran Arunasalam, Aaron Kleinschmidt, Casey Hammond, uh, Josh Pollard, and uh, the veteran Russell Ford, Rusty Ford there. Expect a good tournament from them. They'll be sharp and looking to uh, do the double and back up on last season. Um, my last two on the men's side, Queensland, uh, 2016 finished fifth, which is a little bit uncharacteristic. They're a bit out of the medals there. Um, that was after a, uh, a first place finish beating WA 2-1 in the final in 2015. Some big names in the Queensland side, Daniel Beale, Jake Wedden, Troy Alder. That's a blast from the past there. <laughs> Mark Knowles, Matty Swan. Uh, so some real, real quality and a lot of Rockhampton quality there as well. Yeah, the team. boys. Yeah. Oh, they're my tip. They'll, I think they'll win. But but notably, no Jamie Dwyer in there. He's off playing his hockey in uh, in Holland at the moment with Bloemendal, I think. And uh, finally, New South Wales, another top side there. Uh, they finished third last year and they beat the Indian side five one in the in the third fourth playoff game. Um, look out for Tom Craig, Blake Govers, Kieran Govers, Mr Simon Orchard, and Mr Matthew Butterini, um, coached by Warren Buster Birmingham. Uh, they're going to be going all out. It's a really good blend of youth and experience in the side, and I think they're going to be very, very dangerous. So that's my tips on the men's side of things. WA Thundersticks, Vic Vikings, Queensland and New South Wales, Waratahs. What do you reckon? Pick a winner out of those four? Oh, Queensland. Queensland. Yeah. But can go anyway. As we know, big tournaments, you know, it'll come down to one game, one goal, yeah, close know, stuff. This trap here. 
Over onto the women's side of things, uh, we've got the South Australia Suns playing. They, they, you know, they're going to struggle. They've had a couple of sixth place finishes and a ninth place finish over the past three years. Big stars to look out there, uh, out for there, are Carrie McMahon and Jane Claxton. Uh, the Tassie Van Demons, uh, they had an eighth place finish in 2016, 2015, and 2014. I wouldn't mind betting they're going to have an eighth place finish in 2017. Uh, good luck. We'll, we'll give another a mention to a friend of the show, Mr. Phil Marshall, Fab, who's the assistant coach of the women's team there, the Van Demons. And so that's another name that some of our Irish listeners and maybe even some of our listeners in Rome may be aware. Oh, I think um, some, some, some guys in the East Midlands might remember him as well. Um, uh, who else have we got in the draw there? Um, the ACT, well, top star there would be Anna Flanagan. They've on had, the comeback trail. On the comeback trail. They've had a fourth place finish over the past two or three years. Um, they'll be there or thereabouts, but I don't see them being top three. NT Pearls, seventh, seventh and tenth place. Pretty similar situation to the men's side. They, they'll struggle. They, they, uh, they just don't have the numbers up there in the NT and it's, it's, it's hard to get your full 16 out there to, to compete at a tournament like this. Um, the contenders, I guess we're looking again at WA. We've got Catherine Slattery, Georgia Wilson, Jackie Day, all Hockey Roos um, starring there for the Diamonds. Uh, for the Vic Vipers, uh, we've got Rachel Lynch um, in goal, Emily Hurts, Georgia Nunscorn, Queensland Scorchers. They won it in 2016, won it in 2015. Jody Kenny, Ashley Fay, Kirsten Dwyer, Maddie Fitzpatrick, Renee Taylor, Jordan Holtzberg, absolutely stuffed full of uh, hockey roos, coached by Lee Bodymead, who we talked about in previous shows with Terry Walsh and a long, long career in, in the States and part of the program over there. Um, you know, can Great they plan. do the three-peat? You know, it's, it's, it's very possible. Yes. Um, and New South Wales to finish off there. Um, Emily Boo. Smith playing there. Uh, well, hang on a sec. Emily's just been named. Not new, Emily. No, no, new, new hockey roos captain. Um, also in the the side there, Mariah Williams, Jocelyn Bartram, Georgina Morgan. So plenty of quality around and about. They're all lovely girls and great players. They just wear the wrong shirt at this time of year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're so we're looking at you know pretty similar in the ladies there. WA, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, and uh, I'd say that's your your top four Victoria with possibly ACT getting into that fourth spot there. It depends whether Anna can slot a few of those penalties, corner, the, the drag flicks. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm picking Victoria. It's going to be a great tournament. It starts on September the 28th, so coming up very soon here in Perth. Uh, hopefully we'll bring you some more on that as the tournament goes on, and uh, we may even get an opportunity to get pitch side. And on the back of that discussion about the upcoming AHL, we thought we'd get the words of an insider, someone that's going to be actually running out there representing one of the states, come with the new AHL format. And is a young player, a bit of a future ahead of him. His name's Matt Bird, and welcome, Matt, to the Reverse Stick. Thanks, Johnny. It's nice to be here, mate. Now, first of all, let's get a bit of an idea about your hockey journey. How did you come to the game? Well, firstly, uh, mum and dad played, so I started from a young age. I was brought into basically where they played at Fremantle Hockey Club down there. So I've been there all my life and, yeah, really enjoy it. So I must admit, your mum could score the odd goal or two. She's oh, much better she, than your dad. Every now and then they talk about it, but <laughs> I try to just make my own way these days. 
so at what age, Maddie, did you get the feeling that you did, you were going to take hockey to a higher level, that it was a game that you had an ability to um, reach great heights at? Well, the first sort of step for me was I started playing state level all the way through from under 12s up to all the way through to 21s, and fortunately enough, I was um, successful enough to make each team along the way. But really, it started at under-18s where I was selected for Youth Olympics, and then following that, I played AHL that year, and then, yeah, it's really lifted off since then. Now, the Youth Olympics is an interesting concept. How did you find the whole tournament? What was the experience like? Because I believe it was in China. Yes, it was definitely in China. It was unbelievable. They almost built a whole new city for us. Like wow. It was just unbelievable. You whole village and everything, not like a normal Olympic Games. and Yeah. So really it, was, it wasn't actually using the Olympic facilities or... No, they built a whole new Olympics facilities for us. So, yeah, it was very, like, half of the stuff was, like, sort of uncompleted, but, you know, it was all brand new. Yeah, right. I mean, we've we've talked on this podcast that we think China could be one of the uh, the great hidden tigers, so to speak, of of world hockey. I mean, if we can turn China into the game, there's a great deal of potential there. Did you get the feeling the Chinese have got their head around the game at all? Or they're still a bit, "Mm, what's going on here? Well, yeah, definitely. In the women's, actually, they won the gold medal over the Netherlands, so that was really cool to see that happen. And obviously, being the home country there, it was really nice. Did the Chinese crowd get into it? Yeah, they did. They got (laughs) right around it. (laughs) I mean, watching a bit of the Asian Games, actually, a friend of mine's been doing some commentary up there, and, gee, they love getting into their sport, the Asian supporters, don't they? Yeah, they all flock in numbers, and it's just unreal. They pack it out. Now, you also mentioned the AHL there. That was your first year of the AHL. You're lining up again for the Perth Thundersticks this year. Is that, what, your third or fourth season now you've been with the uh, That will be my third season this year. I um, unfortunately had to miss a season due to injury, but yes, it and was very, very unfortunate. That injury being? That injury was uh, my owner. I had to get... I've got unusually long owners, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, it's very different. So I had to get my owner cut in half and, yeah... Wow, Very so long they, procedure. They yeah. trimmed a bit of your bone off, essentially. Yeah, they shaved. Yeah, they one. got rid of three mil out of my um, owner in my arm. So far out. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Um, Twenty years ago, you would have just had to put up with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. But I had. Yeah, I was getting so much pain through my wrist. It just had to be done. Unfortunately. Was that um, like a workload thing? You're just doing so much. If you hadn't have been. Uh, an elite level hockey player would you even have noticed the problem existed probably wouldn't have existed to start with to be honest okay. I might have done it through hockey through yeah. impact etc and obviously dragging the ball left to right you're always moving your wrist so and it was just the one arm yeah just the one arm I've, I've x-rayed the other and uh, fortunately enough it's stable at the moment but potentially down the track it might have to happen that's one of the weirdest injuries I've ever heard of as far as sport goes having to have your arm Shaved off. Yeah, it was a very long recovery period, unfortunately. Yeah, I do remember when you were recovering from it. Yeah, that's oh, that's terrible. But you're you're fully back now. It's yeah, everything's 100. percent Um, I got that done pretty much straight after Youth Olympics, so I had a little bit of a break after there, and was fortunate enough to come straight back into the program. So, yeah, that's where it really took off after that. Now you've been with uh, both the Australian Junior setup and the Thundersticks for a while now. Obviously, the next step is. Uh, an Australian berth, and uh, with the upcoming AHL, there's lots of opportunities for younger players, especially guys like you. Yeah, there's definitely a good opportunity. I'm hoping to go out there and just put in a solid performance and um, do the best for my team, etc. But obviously, 
I'm just looking forward to a good experience this year. Are you, would you call yourself a goal scorer? Or just a bloke who occasionally scores goals. <laughs> yeah, I'd, ho- I'd like to call myself a goal scorer because some of my coaches would kill me if I didn't. But yeah, definitely I'd call myself a goal scorer. Okay. I've, I've seen you score a couple of real river goals over the years. Yeah, I might be playing in the midfield a bit this AHL, but we'll we'll see what happens. And hopefully I can still score a few goals there. You spent a bit more time in the midfield with your club side this year, didn't you? Yeah, it was very good. I was fortunate enough to play with uh, Simon Orchard and Matt Butterini through the midfield, so it was very handy having those two experienced players around me. Yeah, and they'd be, get a lot of good hockey lessons from those two. I just love watching the way Simon Orchard moves on a hockey field. He's oh. like a panther, that fella. He's great. <laughs> Now, looking ahead to the AHL, you'll be representing the Perth Thundersticks. Do you give yourselves a chance? I definitely think we'll give ourselves a chance. We always put a strong performance out on the pitch. We'll have um, New South Wales have a nice, pretty stock standard team with Matthew Butterini and Simon Orchard from my own club coming back (laughs) into the side. So, yeah, should be very interesting. So... uh uh, Matt and I have talked about it and uh, my tip's Queensland I don't know they've got a pretty strong team this year yeah it's going to be very hard to beat them but obviously we're going to do our best to knock them out in the semis or something like that But are you guys we'll reminded of the, the heritage because WA has quite a strong hockey heritage is that something brought up amongst the group or yes it's always brought up in our culture we do a lot of culture sessions these days about how we want to perform as a team and what we want to represent and yeah so that culture has been driven a lot by the older players, but us younger players now are trying to bring it back up through the... Through the and, and, and that's a conscious thing by the team, to have these sessions about how bloody good we used to be. Yeah, exactly. And then it's just giving us a little bit of faith as well. Obviously, we're a very young team this year, but if you had a look at past Thundersticks players and teams, etc., like that, they've never been the highest quality teams on paper. It's always just been driven and relentlessly worked eth- worth it, work ethic well I think it's certainly those first three seasons where they won that wasn't a star studded team by any stretch I mean there were some good players in it but it wasn't you know wasn't the, the big fantasy team that everybody loved to have running out for them. yeah exactly so they just like to work hard and just bloody grind out each game that's what we're about so yeah so what does it take Matt to, to get to the Thundersticks as far as how much time do you have to put into what you do well, this week so far, what, Thursday now, Johnny? Yeah. I've trained all week and every day, so we're leading into AHL on in a week's time. So maybe five more sessions before that. We'll see how we go. So it's, it's a four- to five-day-a-week commitment. Yeah, and definitely. Then, Obviously, w- maybe a game on the weekend during the, during the hockey season, but, yeah. yeah. And as far as the, the representatives uh, with the, the Australian team sort of thing goes, how, how often do you guys get together? Do you have regular training camps or is it every, as a tournament comes up they say, right, this is our team? Yeah, so obviously they've named a Joe Hall side that I, um, I'm not in representing. We've, there's a lot more younger fellas in there this year which will be good to see how they go. Um, but yeah, normally we get together. Last year was a very big year with Junior World Cup so we had maybe six or seven camps throughout the year but maybe this year it might be down to maybe four or five camps together. So, And uh, something else we've talked about on the podcast before, hockey has this funny four-year cycle that's it's based around the Olympic Games. And it seems to me that we're in, at that moment of the four-year four cycle where everybody's trying to see as much of what they've got in the cupboard as they can. And there's probably eight or nine spots up for the Australian team on the back of the AHL that's... And so it's almost like they're saying, this is your chance, boys. Show us what you've got now. And then later on down the track, we're just going to weed you out. 
did the players get that feeling that that this cycle exists or yeah definitely it's always in the back of your mind especially as a player from the outside so looking into the squad now you're always trying to break through lines and it's obviously been spoken that there's a few spots up for grabs and people under pressure so that's what AHL's here for and that's why we're all striving to I guess do our best at AHL this year and <laughs> I'm not sure that you can really comment on this. This is something that has come from our podcast that I, I have struggled with having India and Malaysia and New Zealand had a national championship. Now, you probably can't say too much about it, but do those playing against those countries provide you with an extra opportunity? It definitely gives you an extra exposure to a different style of hockey. It's not an Australian hockey championship yeah, yeah, yeah. so we'll, it's a league for a reason so now that's why I guess we're starting to bring some international countries into the into the league and try to get some more exposure to Australian hockey Do you notice that difference between different countries in hockey? I, I mean, I've got a feeling that in some ways because of the global nature of the coaching ranks and, and that sort of thing there's a homogenisation to the way teams play to a certain degree you know they all do this or they all do that do you do you notice that at the lower levels there is a, a greater cultural identity or, or national identity to the game? Yeah, definitely. Like India, they like to control the ball a lot, so then they can pick out their different attacks, whereas Malaysia, are sort of the, they steal the ball and counter-attack really quickly. And then, yeah, us, we sort of just man-on-man and really grind out games and be physical. You would have played quite a bit of hockey now against Malaysia, wouldn't you? Yeah, I've played two Johor Sultan of Johor Cups, so yeah, I've had a few games against them. Which I mean, really when good. I was when I was your age, not that I was in line to play for Australia, but I mean, Malaysia wasn't really on the map as far as men's hockey go for a country like Australia. But they've obviously done tremendous work in the last few years to be in the position they are now. Yeah, they've definitely got a lot of coaches up there, especially from down here in Australia, to go up there and help out and expand their program. The same with Singapore at the moment. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's really a growth right up there now, and they'll be forced to reckon with in a few years' time. And the facilities, I'm told, are absolutely sensational. Absolutely. smash anything we've got here. Yeah, it's unbelievable up there. It's bloody... They spend all their money on it. They make sure they're really looked after, which is really good. Yeah. Now, the other thing that other people might not know about you is you're a pretty damn good umpire. Oh, <laughs> I've umpired on the weekend every now and then. Uh, I was thinking about putting my name up for a little bit of a higher grade this year, but I decided not to since though there were so many things yeah. on, etc. Is it something that maybe down the track when you you know the the higher accolades as a player have disappeared, you might consider doing? I think it's definitely a disappearing thing to the sport. Like we're not getting as many quality umpires through players, etc. Seen as though that they just want to play. I think that's one crucial part to the game that we need to expand, so then the players can umpire other players and get really get the the feel for the game. It'd be interesting to see you out there one day with the whistle in your hand. Oh, I look forward to it eventually once the <laughs> time once the time comes. Yeah. <laughs> And the AHL coming up, you must be really stoked that that position's there for you and uh, tournament ahead and it's all, all there for you to show your skills. Yeah, definitely stoked the way it's going to be set up. It's looking like it's getting into order now with set up at the stadium. We're training now. So, yeah, it should be ever good to see everyone down there. And, of course, the AHL's not just a men's tournament either, is it? The no, the, women, will be there? the women's will be there as well. So as long as the under, as well as the under-13s championships is 
around oh, really? the stadium in Perth this, well, this week as well. Oh, what a great opportunity for the kids, the under-13-year-olds, to check out, to be playing at the same time as you guys. Yeah, so they, they've done that with the, the last couple of years, which has been good. So we've been able to help out with the under-13s and go down and watch their games, etc. And they really enjoy that. Would you call yourself a hockey nuffy? Uh, yeah, you would have to. <laughs> you would have to, unfortunately. But yeah, nah, hockey is my life and I love it, so... Oh, Matt, it's been a pleasure to have you in today. Thanks very much for coming and having a chat with us at the Reverse Stick. Good luck with the AHL, and good luck with that green and gold jersey. I'm sure you'll be slipping one on soon. Thanks, Johnny. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and thanks to Matt Bird there for having a chat to us about the upcoming AHL season. And Matt is uh, a young fellow you might be hearing a little bit more of come the future uh, hopefully he can uh, make his way into that Australian team into the time for the next Olympics maybe well he's, he's certainly showing great progression and uh, he's, he's uh, been involved in great tournaments like the Youth Olympics yeah. and he took a gold there and uh, yeah, we, we, love, we love Matty and uh, he's a cracking player so keep an eye out for him and now Matt uh, we're going to turn our attention to Something that you picked up off a Twitter feed the other day, I believe. Pitch cliches. Pitch cliches, yeah. There have been two blog posts from the excellent hockey blog, Scoop Hockey. And, uh, so, yeah, just do a little search for Scoop Hockey, uh, the, either the blog or you'll, you'll find, uh, find them on Twitter. And there's lots of really good stuff that goes up on there with some interviews and, and, uh, some recipes for energy peanut balls and all sorts of bits and pieces that it's a, it's a great little site to check out but they've uh, run a couple of articles there with regard to pitch cliches and the things that you may hear the most through the season and uh, it, there's, there's <laughs> Well, look, you know, I, there's a lot of them that we couldn't actually repeat. We, John and I had a discussion. About. <laughs> well, what, are, you know, what are the pitch cliches? Can we think of on top of the the, the few that are there on the site? So uh, we we put together a little bit of a list. Um, we've cut out the ones that have got some rather floral language. We sort of cut that because <laughs> we, we, we may we might get carried away in a moment and have to beep some out to bear with us. So what have, what have we got, John? Let's have a look at the list there. Well. There's a few here we've got now. Some that that we thought of immediately. Uh, goal side. That's one that occurred to me straight away because it's one I use a lot in defence. You got you, you you know you're under under pressure there. Goal side. Come on boys. Goal side. Get goal side. Defenders. Goal side. So I like goal side. Goal side's good. Second effort. Do you hear that a lot? Do you say that a lot? I say that a lot. I say, boys, come on, second effort, second effort, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have fun with this. Uh, chuck it. Oh, I see, that's, that's one, if I'm, if I'm standing alongside a fullback and I can see, uh, my right wing about 15 metres behind his, uh, closest defender and sort of, you know, tipping somewhere around the edge of the 25, then I'm definitely shouting, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it! Yeah. <laughs> now, a few of these actually involve interactions with perhaps officials as well, and maybe that's this is why umpires should be paid to put up with this sort of crap. Well, um, well there's obviously a <laughs> come on, ump. He's been doing it all day. All day, umpire. All day. How about um, everyone now, up? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone, up. If you're going to blow me for that, ump. Yeah, you've got to blow everyone. You have to blow everyone. Everyone. Uh, we've got a few more here. How high? 
How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? How high? I'm fairly tall, and I play against some pretty short blokes. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> think it's fair. Knee high is what's given with it. Because, come on, you can have a foot between knee height on different height people. Now, knee high isn't a measurement. Uh, well, actually... I'll I'm just going to go into town. How far is it? Uh, knee high. It's uh, 27 <laughs> knee highs. What? And de- depending on uh, which team you're playing against... It could also be a pleasantry passed between players. Knee high, knee high. Well, we're going back to China again. <laughs> exactly, we? we are. Well, almost, yeah. Um, well, also, well, on the knee high as well, um, what's your favourite one about dimples? Oh, you can see the dimples. <laughs> you can, you can see, see the dimples. dimples. No, look up, boy, you can see the difference. Or the uh, obviously it's also, well, look at the bruise. Look, you can see the bruise. The, pro- the problem with you can see the dimples is that you do it there and then and they, they're not quite bright enough. No. You leave it until next an hour, day. Well, hour after the game <laughs> in the bar yeah, yeah. and if the umpire's still <laughs> around, I always take great pleasure to go <laughs> up and say, can I, can I buy you a beverage, sir? And, <laughs> or madam, but generally, sir. And uh, just uh, so you know, just have a look at, just, there you go. There it is. <laughs> there are the dimples. <laughs> You were wrong on that one. Just our last one on umpires, and, and there's several that are around the same sort of subject. Um, he's got to go. Give him the cheese. Give him the cheese. <laughs> he's got to go, ump. Come Send on. him. Come on, ump. He's got to go. You can't tackle like that, can you? Free lumberjack lessons at, <laughs> insert club name here. Yeah, yes. Axeman. Got a few of them. Um, they don't want it. They don't want it, boys. They don't want this it. Is, that's, that's one that generally comes towards your own team, but is very pointed <laughs> at the opposition. Absolutely. And often, often after they've thrown the ball over the sideline three or four times in in procession. Yeah, we've, we've done. He's been doing it all day. We've done it. Yeah, we've yeah, done, we've done that. that. We've got through. We, we've got one you might need for. Uh, you might need the Urban Dictionary. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, we, we can only initial it for you, but FFS. I hear that quite a lot on a hockey field. Oh, oh FFS. <laughs> you, you do hear that occasionally. Oh, uh, and what, uh, we've, we've had a few umpires this year that have been advanced in age. Oh, yeah. And, yes. and um, <laughs> it's, always, um, it, it's always interesting to have a game umpired by a guy that, you know, maybe moves three metres in, in the, <laughs> the entire game. But... Uh, we figured that sometimes, if if they're um, they've been involved in the game that long, perhaps you could put the odd call up that might confuse them a little bit yeah, my, and, and, my, get, and get things go your way. So you throw one at me, John. Offside. 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 It's got to be worth trying, isn't it? Look, yeah. I'm a oh, Another little cliche is usually used towards another uh, opposition player. Not a sledge, just a little line that I've been known to use is a. Uh, Oh, mate, just milking it. We all try it occasionally. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you got to have a go. Got to have a go. Yeah, you got to have a go, mate. <laughs> You'd never know if you don't have a go. So, look, if you've got any uh, pitch cliches, send them through to us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the reverse stick, and uh, copy in Scoop Hockey because we're not stealing their idea, but we think it's a... It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a great little feature. I've got, yeah. I got one more for you, and it is aimed at the umpires, and I reckon it's a winner because I've seen it work too many times for it not to be a winner. Third man! 
<laughs> third man. There's a lot of umpires that know what third man obstruction is, but they don't necessarily see it on the field. If you can remind them, you will score more free hits than you would have thought possible. It's my favourite call to any umpire. We've got a bit of feedback that's come through from uh, on our Twitter feed. It was nice to see a tweet from Stephen Dawson from excuse me, Stephen Dawson, I believe from South Antrim um, in Ireland there. And uh, he tweeted in the week, innovation has generally been a good thing in hockey, but I agree with the guys at the reverse stick, R-E-E-H-L hockey, changes to scoring system. Yes. Boo. So, so we, we, we got a little bit engaged in that. We actually got followed by Euro Hockey League fairly swiftly after we live that comment, which is nice. <laughs> Welcome aboard Euro Hockey League. Nice to have you here. Yeah. Just take our advice. And... <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, so like Stephen brought up a couple of good good points with it, um, and uh, one was that he thought the the reason for the shootout before the game uh, that was the Pakistani league that was different. Oh, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah right, yeah, no, <laughs> getting confused. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we had we had conversations on two different things there uh, with Stephen, <laughs> and uh, and that, yeah, so the first point was with regard to the Euro Hockey League and the the, the points the, the point scoring system there. Um, and uh, that was nice to get his support on our viewpoint with that. There's been a few other things that have popped up with that. There's something came up. Uh, South Pass actually um, tweeted something which was um, from from somebody else, and, and some of the umpires, including the FH FH umpires, picked up on our um, comments with that. And uh, this was from Jordi True on Twitter at Jordi True. Uh, new field goal two point penalty corner one point last minute of the match winning 2-0 opponent attack on my 23 what now forcing a penalty corner and this is the thing isn't it you're going to raise so many different questions with uh, the motive now um, there was a comment from field hockey umpires with regard to uh, a deliberate short corner What's, what you know? What 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 becomes of that? A penalty stroke then happens. So that's two points for your penalty stroke, not the one point for the penalty stroke because it's not resulting in the, in yeah, the short yeah, corner. It's just um, I made a comment back saying, "What about a clumsy challenge outside of the D? Very hard to penalise outside of a, uh, a corner with it. Um, you don't want to be giving giving away short corners, but I don't know. It depends how good you think your postmen are and how quick your runners are. Ah, uh, it's it's. It, uh, it's just silly. It's but it, just but, it, but it brings up lots of different questions with it, doesn't it? That, and that, well, that, that's I think the, the, thing. the biggest point that I've heard is the one you brought up last week. Why do we have to change it? What's wrong with it? Yeah. We, we've got Most an exciting club competition. Game. Yeah, yeah. We've got a great game. We don't need to be making changes like that, which uh, strike at the central core of the game. You know, it's a scoring system. We don't have points in hockey. It's a goal. If the ball goes in the net, you get a goal. That's it. That should be the only criteria. Yeah. Now, Stephen's other point that he came through was with regard to what we talked about in, in the Pakistan Nines competition that was coming up with the shootout happening before the game. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't even really considered, I'll be honest, to think of the viewpoint that um, the shootout is there before the game, but the consequence is for after the game. So if you win the sh- I was thinking, okay, so you win the shootout 4-0, and therefore you then start the game 4-0 up. 
Yeah. And it's for the other team then, well, one team to park the bus and the, and the other team to go hail for leather to try and get back into the game. You know, un, unlikely in a very hard start. And so he put, raised the point and it, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me that, uh, you have your shootout at the start and then if it's a draw at the end, then the result of the shootout counts. So you lose some of that high-end pressure from whether it be a shootout or a um, penalty strokes, whatever it might be at the end of the game. That's decided before the game starts. Um, but then does that put you in a situation, much like Park the other comment, bus again, you mate. park the park bus. The bus. So, so for one team, because they know that they've won the shootout already, that, that, that the draw and the win is part of the equation for them. Well, they only have to draw. They don't have to win. They no longer have to win. No. So, so there's a potential negative impact on the individual game. But that's no different. I got thinking about that then. That's no different from in a pool group, uh, where all you need is a draw to progress through to the next stage of something. Um, that's no different uh, uh, from yeah, in, in, a, in a straight up, uh, league, ladder league situation no, no, where different. you can win the league by a draw will do. That's got to be the same mentality, hasn't it? No. It's different. It's much different. Why is it different? Because it, un, under that situation, you'd play every game like that. Uh, under the, the, the you, you could go through every game and play park the bus. Now, in, in that pool qualifying scenario you put forward, to, to be in a position where a draw gets you through, you have had to have played hockey where you're trying to win. Yeah, well, look, I guess, I guess the, 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 the relevance... The last thing we want to do is make it a game where people are encouraged not to attack. And that encourages people not to attack. Well, I tell you, if we've got an issue with people not attacking, that probably means there's not enough goals being scored. So why don't we implement a point system? So if you... (laughs) 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 Oh, no, I'm getting getting way beyond my status here. I will make one point on, on the shootout before the game, that if that ever got into Masters hockey, there would be no game. We would have the shootout and go, right, boys... Let's go to the bar. Well, this, that's the other point I made to Stephen. I why, said, why, is why, it just having to the bar a bit earlier? Um, and his response to that was, more time at the bar could be the reason. <laughs> We've had some more feedback too. We have? We have, about penalty corners. You specifically have had some feedback, I believe, about penalty corner variations. Oh, so yeah, got a, got a, well, actually got a tweet today from uh, Rotten Row Hockey. Um, very nice of them to think we would be the people to come and speak to about some <laughs> corner routines. Now, I'll just let you know, uh, my, my teams, uh, from this season, the Premiers, will be getting a medal on Friday night. Thank you very much for our very lowly grade. But our general short corner routine was, um, put the ball to the top to a guy called Goofy. <laughs> Somebody will stop it for him. They'll roll it into the top of the D. And he will smash it as hard as he possibly can somewhere between the posts. It might be on the unlucky postman's foot. It could be between the goalkeeper's legs. He probably doesn't really know where it's going, but boy, does it go quick. That's what we do. But I thought I'd do a little bit more work on it from Rotten Row Hockey. They were looking at some ideas for the season. And obviously, if you're going to start a new corner routine, then you want to start it early and perfect it towards the end of the year and they did promise that uh that uh they hope to perfect it by the end of the season um so i sent a little link from uh a corner on a hockey world on net dot net on the the U- their youtube site and it's an absolute perler 
Um, I'm not sure what the club is. <laughs> it, is it is a ribbon. <laughs> so have, have, a, have, a, have a look at it on our, our Twitter feed because you'll find it on there somewhere. Um, but yeah, good luck, Rotten Row Hockey, with your corner routines and good luck for the season and good luck for all those teams. There's a lot of clubs in, in England and across Europe, Holland, Hoop Class has started. We're underway in Germany. Yeah. Um, just just as I mentioned Germany there, um, we got uh, sent through a link for some live yes. um, Liga um, stuff over there in, in Germany. So at the moment we're working on a Google calendar that we're going to embed on the site on a streaming thing. Everything we pick up we're just going to chuck onto the calendar there. So it's going to take a bit of time, um, particularly with our um, backward communication <laughs> system that we've got here at the moment. Um but yeah, so we'll check it as, uh, as a Google Calendar, and then you can subscribe to that. So whenever any live games are coming up, then that'll just automatically populate into your calendar. If you have any live streams, please do get in touch. Admin at thereversestick.net or through our Facebook page forward slash thereversestick, or of course on Twitter, DM us forward slash thereversestick. Yes, Australia, the land of first world bars and fourth world internet connections. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple more things though record breaking oh record breaking yeah so we spoke last week as a with a belated success to, just before we go just <laughs> sorry sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry to hold you um, the Chelmsford Hockey Club we mentioned last week being dual Guinness World Record holders unfortunately they're now just a singular Guinness World Record holder as Warwick Hockey Club um, in Warwickshire in the Midlands there in the UK they broke their highest number of players playing an exhibition match they were aiming for 360 I think they got 370 so short lift dual record there for Chelmsford but great efforts from them and great efforts from from Warwick to take their short shortly held crown there and didn't get a score from that game did we? we didn't get a score from oh, that I didn't either some kind of points um, points to points yeah. or something, I think. 46 to 27 or something so uh, it was a late, yeah. It seemed, seemed like a, a great day from the images that popped up online there from that. So well done, Warwick Hockey Club. And uh, that's it from us here on the Reverse Stick for another week. Uh, we'll be back again next week, internet's permitting. And um, bloody Telstra, I tell you. Um, yeah. So enjoy your your hockey weekend ahead. Which uh, Matt, what did you do last Saturday? What did I do last Saturday? What did, what, uh, no hockey. Well, there was no hockey, no, it was actually nice to give the body a little bit of a rest. I didn't know what to do. But don't worry, the Summer League stuff's starting again in oh, a couple of weeks. Brilliant. So we'll, we'll be back on the park. But yeah, thank you for joining us once again. Please do like and subscribe, tell your mates, and, uh, the reverse stick. Help us out to spread the reverse stick. So yeah, what are you doing on the way to the game, guys? Let's listen to the reverse stick. Thanks for your company. Uh,